Hello, I'm Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson. Uh, thank you, everybody, for listening. So, a couple of quick announcements before we get into the episode. Number one, I released uh, a short announcement about this, but I wanted to really uh, go into detail. So, I put it out on Facebook and on Twitter, asking people if they would be at all interested in participating in a listener-compiled list of the top 50 movies of all time. And enough people said yes that we have opened that up. So between now and June 25th, email me, Tyler at more than one lesson.com. Uh, and I want you to, what I want you to do is I want you to send in a list of 10 movies, ranked please, from 10 to 1, 10 being the worst, one being the best. Worst, of course, of the 10. And I want you to submit the 10 movies that you think absolutely belong on the list, uh, in you know, in order of preference or order of of uh, quality, whatever it is. A lot of people have asked, um, do you want this to be, since it's more than one lesson, do you want these movies to be like vaguely spiritual or Christian themed? Um, not necessarily. If you want it to be fine. Uh, people said, is this favorite or best? Either one, frankly. Um, is it about rewatchability or is it about, uh, you know, the, the, the influence that the film had, whatever you want it to be, whatever you take best to mean, that's what I'm interested in. So Tyler at more than one lesson.com, uh, send it in before June 25th. And I will say already, um, just looking at the list, I'm already very excited. Um, we did this many years ago for battleship pretension. Uh, and I was curious to know, even though there is a fair amount of crossover in the listenership, I was curious to know how things would look with this audience as opposed to that one, because this is a Christian show and would that make a difference either overtly or unconsciously? And the answer is uh, yes, it has made a difference. Like looking at the top 10 right now, there are movies that are placing high that I really was not expecting. Um, and that were no, that were nowhere on the battleship pretension list. So I'm, I'm very excited to see the final results, but, uh, the more, and frankly, the more people, that send it in, the more comprehensive the list will be, and uh, I'm very excited to see that. So, um, and then the second thing, uh, so last week, Josh and I recorded about The Sound of Music, and we said that this week we would be posting our episode about My Fair Lady, but the topic of today's episode was, uh, for lack of a better term, burning a hole in my pocket, and I really wanted to discuss it. So the My Fair Lady episode is, uh, mini-sode, pardon me, pardon me, is going to be, um, next week. So I apologize if you tuned in really excited to hear about, you know, uh, Henry Higgins and that sort of thing. So, okay, before I introduce my co-hosts, plural, that's correct. You read it in the description. Anyway, um, before I introduce them, I actually wanted to introduce the topic in this particular way. Many years ago, I watched a documentary on Netflix. I do not know if it's still on there. Um, perhaps it is, but I'm sure you can find it uh, a number of other places. The documentary is called Clean Flicks. And it was a documentary about uh, this service that existed in the late 90s, early 2000s called, uh, called Clean Flicks, in which, and it was not a streaming service because that wasn't really an option at the time. Instead, it was like a chain of video stores, uh, many of which were in the state of Utah. And what would happen is uh, these these producers would buy DVD copies of movies 
that had, you know, offensive content. And then they would go through and they would edit out the offensive content or, or, you know, put a beep or a silence over swear words and that sort of thing. And then they would just burn those DVDs and rent them out as a part of these video stores. And there were, there were some lawsuits that happened as a function of the director's guild. Um, and the, the documentary actually winds up going a little bit off the rails because it winds up focusing on one guy in particular and it turns into a larger, uh, commentary on religion that I am not totally on board with, but it was very interesting to me because I did not know anything about that practice. Um, and one thing that really got to me was it showed, there was this one guy who was probably in his early 20s, and he was at, the, at this Clean Flicks video store, and he was renting a copy. He was renting, I believe, Scarface, the Pacino version, and I think Reservoir Dogs. It might have been Goodfellas. I don't remember, but gangster movies. And he said to the camera, he said, I'm excited to watch these movies you know, now that I can actually watch them, I'm really excited to see them. I've heard so many great things about them. And I was alone when I was watching this movie, and I literally yelled at the TV because I thought that his his thinking was very misguided. And we will talk more about that in a moment. Uh, so, Clean Flicks got shut down, and it stayed shut down for a long time. And then a couple weeks ago... Uh, in some Facebook group that I'm a part of that I won't talk about, um, I heard of this service called VidAngel. And just based on the context in which someone was talking about it, I was able to kind of determine what it was, that it was a streaming service that, uh, that filtered out or, or cut out or, or censored um, offensive content. And then looking deeper into it, uh, I saw that, oh, this is a thing that the person themselves... Uh, that the viewer themselves, they can decide what filters to put on it. It is not like a, a TV, uh, you know, an adapted for TV uh, movie where it's just like, okay, all, everything offensive is taken out. It's, it is, you can tailor it to your own personal convictions. Like if profanity does not bother you, then you can leave that in. But if sexuality does bother you, you take that out. So uh, looking at that, I was bothered a great deal and I commented and it, I wouldn't, it was hardly a firestorm, but there was a bit of a debate and uh, a couple things were said that about me that I wasn't thrilled about. Um, nothing uh, overly malicious, but so, stuff that's just like, mm, this person simply does not like that I don't agree with them. And uh, they want to try and uh, invalidate what I had to say. Uh, and so I was just like, all right, whatever, who cares? I'm just going to leave this alone. And then in the last couple of weeks, I've been hearing more and more about VidAngel from people that I do like and people that I do respect. Um, and I just thought like, well, rather than have a series of smaller, shorter conversations on Facebook, uh, I will instead devote an entire episode to VidAngel and the concept behind it. Because I believe that there are other services that do this. This is just the highest profile one at the, at the moment. So I didn't want to do, I didn't want to discuss this alone. Ideally, I wanted to bring all three co-hosts on, but unfortunately scheduling didn't work out. So uh, our good friend Robert is going to be sitting this one out. But if you're doing your math correctly, and if you've memorized the names of the co-hosts correctly, that means that Josh and Reed are both here to help me discuss the VidAngel. Josh, Reed, welcome. Thank you. Hello. All right. I could see you guys totally glazing over while I was giving my introduction. 
So were you, you know, talking? Head in the game, Josh. Head in the game. <laughs> I was. What are you looking at there? I was actually beginning to stream clean flicks. So. <laughs> well, that's you know what, and that is your right as an American. I would never take that away from you. I, I was reading something Variety had about uh, whether or not they consider these services legal. Yeah, and that is something that uh, we can talk about uh, a little bit later, or we could lead with that. I'm fine with that, and I will. I will say that here's how the service works. Um, it was yeah. pounded into my head by watching a number of commercials on the VidAngel site, which I, I know some of you guys have talked about uh, the tone of the commercials, at which maybe is something to talk about in the discussion here. I have sure. purposely not watched any of the commercials, so okay. I have an idea of how it works, but I too am interested to hear this uh, breakdown of what the service is. All right, so here's what it is now, and I know Reed. Before we before we started recording, you watched. A whole bunch of these commercials, so you know how this service works. Yeah, a good fifteen minutes of of commercials. That is, yeah, I'm going to say too many commercials yeah. for one service. That's oh, like a yeah. hundred commercials, right? Yeah. Well, there were no. They ranged from thirty <laughs> seconds to two minutes. Yeah. So you know, like two hundred. Yeah. So I probably I probably watched about twelve. Oh. I probably watched about like ten to twelve different commercials for it. So here's how it works. Essentially, you. Go to the VidAngel streaming site. You don't necessarily have to have a subscription. or It's not a paid subscription. You pay to essentially rent these movies, but it's not called rental. Here's what it is. You go, here's the, they have this, these, the selection of film, new and old. You click on one, you buy it. You buy it for $20. You can then, uh, you can have it for as long as you want because you own it officially. You can then add a number of filters that are specific to that movie. Like, you know, it's not going to say, do you want to filter uh, extreme sexuality out of inside out? Like that's not uh, an option that you have. Like it is specific uh, to that film. They, they just don't want to clean up that film. No, they just, you know, they're just like, you know what? This thing's already perfect. We wouldn't, we wouldn't dream of taking out the hardcore sex scenes in inside out. Um, so, uh, so you can, you can, click all these filters on and then you watch the movie with all of these filters on. And so things, so if it's swearing, you'll hear uh, silence over the swearing. If there's sexuality or, or um, violence that bothers you, uh, it will just skip that particular moment of the film. Uh, and then what you do is, okay, I'm done with it, but I don't want to own this thing. I didn't want to own it. I wanted to rent it. So what you then do is you sell it back to them. Again, all of this is digital. You sell it back to them for $19. So you've spent $1 on this thing. And for that dollar, you can basically watch it for as long as you want because you you own it, essentially. So The um, thing I was looking at said it was $2, but it may have changed since then. That was in March. Is that oh, you what know what? Seems to be Here's now? the thing. I think it's $2 for HD. Oh, okay. um, I, I, I engaged in the service the other day, and it was $1 for me, but I did not watch it in HD. Uh, so I think that might be... Just spend the extra dollar, man. Hey. Get HD. Uh, well, uh, let me throw this out there. Live a little. Uh, listeners, we do take donations at uh, morethanonelesson.com, <laughs> yeah. so feel free to... Sub- and do we you, are, as you always, see how badly Tyler needs donations? <laughs> He's watching non-HD streaming <laughs> yeah. video. On VidAngel. Help him on out. On VidAngel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, I'm, and I, did that, I did that for this episode. So, you know, feel free to donate, or you can always buy that Dogma episode that uh, that Josh and I recorded. We haven't done another bonus episode since then. We probably oh, yeah. should. Let's make this one a bonus episode. That seems From like here a weird... on, yeah, it's okay, bonus. Yeah, okay, sure. Yeah, okay, guys, all right, freeloaders. Um, 
So, uh, so okay. So I think that that pretty much sums up the service. Is there's that... a there's a slight nuance to okay. it. Okay. So and and you may have already known this, but you didn't make the distinction in the description. So I just want to point out. So like once you you pay the twenty bucks to own the movie, but you only own the movie for okay. So when you pay the twenty dollars, they assume you own the movie for good. Mm. You have to sell it back the next day. To get it for one dollar. Oh, it's the next day. Yeah, because okay. every single day that you keep it, another dollar deducts from the yeah. from the 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 ownership price okay, or the sellback. So, in other words, okay, I if I if I were to to buy a movie from VidAngel for twenty bucks, keep it for a week, I only have the option to sell it back for thirteen bucks. Hmm. Okay. And if I keep it for twenty, I lose the option to sell it back. I now own the movie. Period. Okay. So, so that's the that's the only nuance that you didn't specify. But, but, but that you know, essentially, all of their advertisements are pervasive about the one dollar, one dollar, one dollar, yeah, and then yeah. they have this little you know thirty second in- intro where they will basically describe what you've just described, and then you have to dig into some of the fine prints of okay. like, well, wait a second, you know, like because yeah, if I keep it two days, then I only then it's then it's two dollars whether okay. it's HD or not. And so that's kind of how they their pricing structure works. Okay, yeah, and I, I didn't know that. And that definitely does make a certain degree of sense. I mean, it is for something that does for a service that doesn't rent you anything, you just describe late fees. Essentially. <laughs> um, that's what that is. Um, and I will say, uh, having just listened to my own tone just now, I will say that so I have I'm very passionate about this topic. And I know a lot of people are pro and con. And I need to be careful. And so, listeners, if my tone ever dips into snark or superiority or sarcasm um, or I heighten it for effect or whatever, um, I do apologize because the last thing – I'm going to be passionate. That's fine. But I definitely don't want to be dismissive and I don't want to be condescending. And so if my tone does dip into that, uh, I do apologize. I'm going to try my hardest not to do that um, because I think there's too much of that uh, in regards to this type of thing. So – so that is the uh, so that is the service, and Josh, you were looking at Variety, in which they were speculating whether or not this is uh, completely legal. Mm-hmm. Um, what uh, what is the consensus here? Um, it seems to be there. Uh, once you get into copyright law, it's it's very complicated. Yeah, um, I'm sure all everyone out there wants to hear a, a big breakdown of copyright law. Sure, absolutely. But, um, there are a couple factors at play. One is the question on whether it's considered a public or a private screening. Um, apparently, the argument, at least that VidAngel makes, is that if you own it, then it's a private screening. Okay. Um, because you're not allowed to edit it like that for a public screening. That's, okay. That's illegal. Um, another thing is there is something called the Family Entertainment and Copyright Act which allows the use of technology to censor portions of DVDs. So says okay. Variety. So um, I guess that VidAngel, VidAngel contends that, that, uh, that they fall under that. Um, so that's interesting. Um, yeah. Uh, it also does say that similar types of services have, uh, have been sued and lost in the past. Okay. Um, but... Usually, studios and everybody don't uh, they they don't show a whole lot of interest in services like this until they start to make a whole lot of money, mm-hmm. which right. kind of makes sense. If it if it's not really affecting them that much, then they're not going to care a whole lot. But if they start to feel like it's affecting them, then 
that's and, when you wake the sleeping giant. Well, and that's the thing is going back to this clean flicks thing from uh, over 10 years ago, the, the people that objected were not actually the studios. It was the director's guild. Hmm. It was directors saying, what right do you have to edit my film? That mm-hmm. is interesting. You know? And so it was a, it was not a financial decision. It was a, mm-hmm. it was an artistic one. It was a creative one, um, which I found particularly interesting. Part of me wonders like who, who was the list though of those people that, uh, that were against that sort of thing. Cause, uh, I seem to recall it was somewhat notable actually. Well, and, and certain auteur directors, I can totally understand that. But sure. if you're somebody who you're like a hired hand to do the new Marvel movie or something like that, then yeah. you've already given up your right to, <laughs> to say how people edit the film. That's true. And let's not get into your cynicism about the MCU right now. Um, but, uh, but nonetheless, like it's still just, you can still say, this is my movie. Like I'm not, I'm not sure if I'd say I'm a strict auteurist because like, mm-hmm. especially when you're part of a fran- you know, when you're directing the eighth film in a franchise, yeah. like, the studio is, you know, you are exact. You At are that exactly point, that. You, you're a you don't man. have anything to say that, um, that it's your film, yeah. uh, but you can still make the argument that it is. Like they picked mm-hmm. you to try to realize this idea, and you did it to the best of your ability. And then somebody <laughs> castrates it even more. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could be that. Um, I have one. I have t- two very quick thoughts to say about the thoughts the, here. Yes. Yes. Thoughts here. <laughs> this side. Um, the uh, so. Uh, I did feel they, they said it over and over again in the commercials that I watched. They said, you know, it's uh, it's easy. It's legal. And they, they just kept harping on that word of like, this is legal. Yeah. This is legal. And I kept feeling even without hearing what you just said about variety, which was mm. mostly news to me. Uh, I kept feeling like this feels like loophole legal. Like this yeah. feels like like lingo. It feels which like is, they're yeah. protesting maybe a bit too much. Perhaps. Uh, and it's like you you realize that you are getting by on a technicality, which all it would take is a savvy judge to to come in and say this is misuse of this, or like you said, maybe you know maybe a lawsuit right. or something like that. Yeah. The other distinction that I was going to make was between perhaps what VidAngel is doing and necessarily what like CleanFlix was doing is. I don't know how you guys would feel, but I would feel that, um, you know, like video rentals that were making the edits for you is much more of a, of a, of like a public setting because, because let's say I wanted to rent Scarface from mm-hmm. clean flicks. Yeah. I wouldn't, but let's say that I wanted to rent that and I was offended by drug use. Sure. And all I wanted to cut out was the instances of drug use. Right. Oh, I wouldn't have that choice because they've also edited out the profanity. They've also edited out the sexuality and the violence, which which I personally might be in this um, hypothetical example, I might be fine with. So that is much more of a the public deciding for me versus what VidAngel seems to be trying to push, which is that you control the content filters and you control what you are and are not okay with. Conceivably, that even though they're there, you might never use them. Like right. you might, you know, it, it is, conce- I don't know why you would go to them for this, but it is conceivable somebody could use the VidAngel service purely to, to get movies and sell them back for a dollar and mm-hmm. like never use the filter program. Yeah. But yeah. anyway, just a couple of distinctions. You know, and it's one thing that, uh, I'm sorry to be plugging this film Clean Flicks, but it's the first place my mind went when I was looking at this VidAngel thing. Uh, one thing that was interesting, so I will say that I did rent Deadpool, sorry, bought Deadpool, and then sold it back. You did um, sell it back already? You're I not going to fall prey to those? Uh, no, I sold it back uh, Good on you. two hours later, in fact. No, um, 
so uh so it only cost me like 20 cents um that's not how it works that's not how it works um so i did watch deadpool with some some basic filters put on not there's a lot of options but i put on the most basic filters that somebody it's like okay well what could i do to make uh deadpool like a pg-13 um or just or frankly even a pg so i took out like profanity all sexuality and graphic violence um and so as I was watching it, uh, having, and, and I'm already familiar with Deadpool. I've, so I wanted to pick something that I've seen and something that was featured very prominently on the front page of VidAngel because it's clear this is one that people have said they want to see, but they don't want to see all this other stuff in it. Mm. So, um, so I start watching it and the way that it cuts stuff out, I mean, it is astonishing to me because looking in the about section, of VidAngel, it says like these these edits are so seamless you won't even notice. And I thought like even if I haven't seen the movie, come on guys. Mm. Whereas with Clean Flicks, one one fun little uh, development is that the guys who do edit who who edited the movies actually discovered a love for the editing process. Like they came to realize how important it is to try to make it seamless to try to cut something out so that like maybe an entire shot is gone, but they want to, tr- they don't want to lose the flow of the scene <laughs> like tonally. And while I still w- didn't like what they were doing, I was just like, at least they acknowledge that there's some kind of flow. Meanwhile, when I watched Deadpool, I only got through about 10 to 15 minutes, uh, with the filters on because I was, and I was going insane mm-hmm. because, and I cannot imagine and listeners, you're welcome to correct me if you want and, or, or just say your own personal experience. I cannot imagine anybody watching that movie. I could get I could only get through a few minutes of it watching that movie and feeling like they got the experience of seeing Deadpool. I mean, it cuts and jumps around so much. And admittedly, not every movie is going to have the amount of content that Deadpool did. But I tried to pick one that like, all right, they're trying to make Deadpool palatable. So let's give it a try. And it seems like they've done that. Just looking on a, a, a cursory Google search shows that Game of Thrones is another one that they're yeah. trying to hype up, which oh, sounds yeah. like that would be the same sort of issue where yeah. so much of it has to be taken out. They have an odd... I know you haven't seen any commercials. Their their treatment of Game of Thrones struck me as so strange because <laughs> they they set the commercial up as if it is a parody where the whole reason... And this was one of the things, I don't know how quickly you want to, to get into this, I should set up before I make this statement that uh, on the VidAngel subject, my internal jury is still deliberating about this. Sure. Like I don't, I don't know quite how I feel about this. I, when we had talked about the episode, I tossed a couple of thoughts out there that I'm actually quite wrestling with, both pro and VidAngel. And there's actually quite a few things that would seem to lead on the on the pro VidAngel side. But mm-hmm. again, I have to stress. I'm, I'm internally debating about this because yeah. this isn't something I've thought about recently. Um, but I did not like the tone at which or the implications behind their Game of Thrones ad. It's trying to be funny, but the implication behind the Game of Thrones ad is that the only reason for the mature content in Game of Thrones is because they don't have the budget for otherwise. So they make a cheap joke by saying like, um, you know, like, hey, we would love to make Game of Thrones cleaner, but we don't have the budget for that. So they'd be like, we don't have a budget for wardrobe. Make another nude scene. And then they would say, uh, oh, you know, we, we, we fired the writer because we don't have any more. He's like, just throw in F-bombs everywhere, you know. And so they're, they're again, whether you think that's funny or not, the implication 
is that the only reason you would need to throw those those kinds of content in there would have nothing to do with story, would have nothing to do with character development. And I'm also, I have never seen an episode of Game of Thrones. I, well, I've actually seen the pilot, but that's beside the point. As did I. Um, but I, I know that there are instances where content is used to obtain a rating or to set a tone, and that it's not narratively or characteristically you know, uh, substantial. But there are plenty of times where it absolutely is necessary to either the story you're telling or to establishing a character, maybe even just the, the mentality of that character or the, or the world that that character lives in. So the, the, while somebody could pick on me for saying, hey, that ad was just meant to be a joke. Maybe it was, but the implication behind it is that sure, everything would be clean if, if uh, you know, if people were just would just think harder about it or have more yeah. money or have the opportunity to make it cleaner. That there's there's no indication in that ad that there would ever be a reason for mature, objectionable content in a story, and that's the part that really bothered me. And what you're talking about is necessity. You even used the term necessary a moment yeah. ago. Um, that is one of the arguments that I have been hearing on Facebook in favor of VidAngel that has really been sort of driving me up a wall. Hmm. That people would, they have phrased it that like, like, oh, I love this service, finally. And these are, you know, again, these are people that I know, people I'm friends with. Um, they say, finally, I can, I can watch these movies without all this stuff that I don't think is necessary. Hmm. Or they just, and that's if they're being generous and say, I don't think is necessary. Or they'll just say, without all this other stuff, uh, all this unnecessary hmm. vulgarity. And, you know, so many of my objections to something like VidAngel are rooted very firmly in my lofty, pretentious, high-minded film school mentality, but it, I think it is, uh, so now that I've degraded it a little bit, um, I will say that I do think that like, I remember there's a, there's a, uh, a line by comedian Jimmy Pardo when he is trying to silence down the crowd and he gets a pretty rowdy crowd because he does a lot of crowd work. And when people will like shout things out, he'll tell them, don't do that. And he says, he says, your options are laugh or don't laugh. You don't get to say what the show is or you can leave. And, and that's the thing is ultimately I feel like that's what it, that's kind of the way I, I look at it. Like I have issues with game of Thrones. I actually do think just in the pilot that I saw, there were probably, I believe four scenes of nudity. One of them, I thought like, no question that is 100% necessary there's no other way to get at this at the emotional tone they're trying to get to except to do this anything anything less would not work but then there are other ones that just seemed excessive to me uh and so yes i don't necessarily see them as necessary but then i made a choice my choice is I'm not going to watch this show mm -hmm. because even people that love the show admit that for the first few seasons, it does seem a little bit shoehorned in maybe not from the, maybe not because like, Oh, we don't have the budget for costumes or whatever it is, right, which right. is a joke. Although I should say that maybe one of the best Orson Welles scenes of all time, uh, which is from uh, Othello came about because the costumes didn't show up that day. And so they decided to play, put a scene in a Turkish bath. Uh, <laughs> it's wonderful. Anyway, um, so the thing is, so the idea of, of fi uh, seeing something as necessary, unnecessary, 
that is not a wrong instinct. Where it becomes wrong, is, and wrong, of course, is kind of a relative term right now because I don't necessarily mean immoral. Where I think it becomes wrong and maybe even borders, borders on entitlement is when you say, I don't care what the filmmaker thinks is necessary. I'm still like, I still want to see what he does, but I don't care, but I don't like how he did it. So I want to see Game of Thrones, but I don't want to see all the stuff that that they thought was necessary that I don't think is necessary. Mm-hmm. And I and I think actually it's it's worth noting that though they made jokes, the the only way whether they did this consciously or not, the way in which they could justify approaching it this way is to denigrate to make it seem as though there's sure surely there's no reason for this. It's the only reason to have this kind of swearing is because we can't write our way around it. Mm-hmm. And that is how, like, to make it seem like that would, that's never a choice a person could ever make and have it be valid. Yeah. And that's, that's how they can, I think, for themselves, get around this. And I, w- I was going to say, I feel like I even want to challenge that idea of something being uh, the, the only valid reason to... You, you made the distinction of something valid, a valid reason sure. to put something in like that. I, I think that's even weaker than necessary, but I still think that is valid. You know, mm-hmm. like... Um, there are lots of ways you can tell a story yeah. and you can make the argument that there's never any one necessary way to tell a story, but there are less effective and more effective ways to tell a story. And yeah. sometimes I think uh, things that would, that people of VidAngel would, would label as content or objectionable content or vulgar or whatnot um, can be better ways to tell the story. And uh I mean, I, I feel like artistically that to me, that's valid. That's fine. Even if it's, uh, even if it's not necessary, I feel like if that's the better way to do it, then that's the better way to do it. Yeah. And, and you could, and it's, that's the thing. It does the, the conversation, the, the artistic conversation, it does not end at the filmmaker saying, well, I think this is necessary. So I'm including it. You as the audience, you have the freedom to reject it. You have the freedom to say, I don't agree, but I do think that our role as audience members, if we're trying to engage with film or really any art, I think we need to hear out the filmmaker. We need to hear out the artist and hear everything they have to say. If they think something is necessary, then we need to say like, all right, I will see what you think is necessary. And then, then you can say, well, I don't think it was necessary, but at that, but frankly, you've, you've you've heard you've heard what the artist thinks is the best way or the most effective way as you said to tell their story and i feel like when you say even before even knowing the context before knowing anything about the movie except maybe kind of the vaguest possible details without knowing any about any of the individual scenes in which you might find sexuality or violence or whatever without knowing any of that you have decided that this is never necessary and and you're basically then kind of, it's not straight up censorship, but you are, but it does come from a place of, I would say, entitlement where you are now dictating to the artist without knowing anything about their interpretation or what they're trying to accomplish. You're dictating to them what is and is not necessary. Well, and you made a, you made a really interesting point there. <clears throat> In my mind, I've been trying to wrap my head around several aspects of this and, um, so, so we, you know, my son's four years old mm. 
And we recently showed him, I think I shared this with you guys over email when we were talking about this. We recently showed him Back to the Future. It's it's PG. Yeah. Uh, we my my wife and I both had incredibly fond memories of the first time we saw it when we were kids and you know we loved it. Um so we showed it to him and testament to the amazing awesomeness of that movie that my 4-year-old son was very into it. I mean from first viewing he we he required no coaxing to be sucked into the story. He loved the car, he he loved the ideas and and you know I mean we didn't sit there and talk time travel with my 4-year-old. He's not that smart yet. <laughs> but but Tell me about <laughs> But he you know he really enjoyed the movie became obsessed with it and wanted to watch it over and over and over again well we have the dvd and he um so so he watched it and the first time that my wife and i were sitting there watching it we we heard and registered like oh they they swear quite a bit in this now it, it's pg so you know nobody drops anything too heavy but also it's 1985 pg which i think yeah. is yeah it was pre-pg 13 mm-hmm. i believe but or I, right I, around I, that cusp. Not, not quite but yeah but you know it's around that it's around yeah. that area and uh so it so anyway we're sitting there like oh okay all right so but he watched it several times it was it was fine and then sure enough uh when we you know Parent of the Year Award, when when we hear him, uh, you know, just casually throwing out a word or two here or there, completely innocently, by the way. Sure. He, he knew no context in which to properly swear, if that's such a thing. Um, he, uh, you know, he just threw the words around. And, and we felt very, we instinctively felt that it was very important not to, and I don't know how certain listeners feel about this, maybe in a conversation like this, this is a, you know, maybe a subtopic, but I am of the opinion that it is unhealthy or, or not helpful, I should say, to label specific words as bad. You could you could label them as mature, and you can you know in a casual way call them bad words so everybody knows what you're talking about. But I'm, I'm a writer. Words are very important to me. Words are often very precious to me, if I can use that one. And uh, and so I don't like calling certain words bad. So um, we didn't tell him that those were like bad words, but we did say these are things we we don't want you to say. Sometimes they can hurt people's feelings. They can make fe- people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, so we talked about the feelings that they would that they would cause in people if if we if we heard him using those words. But we also decided that for now we should probably put Back to the Future viewings on hold. Sure, <laughs> uh, you know just 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 for now. Um, and it also informed other things that we kind of wanted to show him soon we were like as soon as he took to back to the future we were like all right line up goonies line up you know line up yeah. all these other movies and then you know the experience of seeing the back to the future thing and seeing how he responded to it, it's like okay maybe we wait a little bit on that maybe you know maybe we have to wait and so it had me debating inside and this is the distinction that i was going to make with what you were saying earlier right. um because you're talking about people who are making that presupposition before they've seen the content right so before they know the context before they know anything about what the story is or, or how vital it is to the context of the story um but is it and this is an honest question i'm wrestling with right now that i don't have an answer to is it acceptable that once you once you've seen the movie perhaps multiple times and know like I just so here's where I'm sitting here. I just want my son to be able to watch this movie right. and not have those words constantly filtered into his head until he's six or seven or old enough to know, like, hey, just knock off saying that word. Um, would that be a bad? Would that be violating the director's vision if I was? And I'm asking honestly. I'm not trying to be snarky. Like, it, do you guys find that desire offensive? I don't find it offensive. Um, yeah, I, I will. I don't find the desire offensive. Right. I do think, and Reed, if you'll allow me for a moment, I'm going to tell you how to parent your kid. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That should be no problem, right? Yeah, exactly, yeah, no. <laughs> I have a we've couple been, of cats, I get it. We've been friends for a while now, yeah, so yeah. we'll be fine. Um, so, 
No, I will say that uh, were I in your situation, and don't get me wrong, like the first thing that I do when I have a kid is like start thinking about, okay, when can I show them my favorite movies <laughs> that, I, that I grew up with? Mm-hmm. Because I myself have an experience, and I'm going to, listeners, uh, you know, earmuffs, not really. Um, I grew up watching Ghostbusters, mm-hmm. and one of the early scenes has a character uh, yelling that something pisses him off. I said that at the dinner table. I didn't even totally know what it meant. I don't think I knew it meant that it made him mad. I think I was able in context to figure it out, but I just threw it out there and both my parents were like, whoa, where did you hear that? And I said, oh, it was on Ghostbusters. And like, oh, all right. And they said, well, and I, I don't, they might've said bad. I don't know, but they no, just yeah. said like, that's, that's not a word we say. And then I kept watching Ghostbusters. I'm like, all right, well, that's not a word I say. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that like, it might be a situation where, you know, Robert Zemeckis, maybe he didn't make the movie for a four-year-old. Yeah, right, you know? right, right. And so I'm saying you're a bad parent for showing I understand, showing yes. But yes. that's the thing is like six or seven, maybe they're able to understand context a little mm. bit more. And so my first thought is like, if it's, if the content of the film is so mature in its in certain things, you know, personally, you know, you know, I, you and I talked about Pinocchio recently. I feel right, like yeah. a lot of that content is really mature, yeah. but at the same, <laughs> they use you know, the word jackass. They should in do. Pinocchio. They should yeah. do. Um, before in one of the most disturbing scenes in film history, mm-hmm. a kid uh, becomes one. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I find myself thinking like if a, if a director makes a movie that could be considered mature, like mm-hmm. too mature for a four year old, then maybe it's not, meant to be seen by a four-year-old at the time yeah like there are movies that i you know there are so many movies i want to show my kid who doesn't exist um (laughs) and i'm gonna want to do it as soon as possible Mm -hmm. but i i do feel like yes you will yeah exactly (laughs) yeah you know um and like my my brother uh has been showing my my nephew who at this point is you know a teenager that's weird to think about um you know he he was he was perpetually looking for like, when can I show him predator? Like at what age can I, Oh wow. Okay. When can I show, you know? And so like uh, my nephew was staying with us uh, a couple years ago. And so he was like 12, 13. And uh, we were trying to figure out movies to, to have him watch, but we knew that there would be rated R. So I called my brother and I said, okay, what is your stance on R rating? And he said, sexuality, leave that out for the time being. Um, He's like swearing, like, Here's plenty of swearing elsewhere. Um, so we wound up watching Speed. Oh, okay. Which is amazing. I love that movie. And But that's the thing is, everything about what just happened, everything that happened in that situation was, my brother had, you know, he knew what, he took every aspect of content uh, context into this. What is my nephew hearing in everyday life? What is he overall aware of? How old is he? What other movies has he seen? And so, um, so I would say that the desire to show your son this movie that he loves is not a, is a, a wonderful desire in my opinion. Uh, and the desire to have him not necessarily embrace certain aspects of the film is also a perfectly reasonable desire. But for me, it's like, we, we still, you know, it's weird to be talking about like a director's vision when talking about parenting, but it seems to me that when it comes right down to it, like this is how Robert Zemeckis wanted back to the future to be seen. Mm -hmm. So now you have the choice to make, which is do you show it to him and then, and then give him, do you show it to your son and then give him 
caveats, mm-hmm. or do you just hold off until he's a little bit older and can understand certain things? So no. I hope it didn't seem like I was lecturing you. Uh, entirely. Okay. Entirely. Yeah. No. Right. Now I'm going to leave the episode to, uh, yeah, to both of you, yeah. and I'm going to go and cry in a corner. Absolutely. No, that's fine. <laughs> well, and I will, say, I, I will say, like, to that end, uh, I, I have a little... I have a little bit of a challenge okay. to to the idea of the director's vision as sacrosanct. Okay. I have a little bit of a challenge to it because while I do, I, I will be the first to let's let's take a movie that I thought about in this context. There were two films that kept coming up. Um, whenever I have any conversation about movies, it doesn't matter if the, if we're talking about um, G-rated animated films or if we're talking about uh, you know action films, I'm going to think about The Exorcist. Whatever I whatever sure. conversation about movies I have, I'm going to go there. There's a there's a scene in that movie that I will not graphically describe. That um, oh, yeah. but um, but it, but it, it kind of like with the Bone Tomahawk thing. If you've seen The Exorcist unedited, you know what scene I'm talking about. And um, I have had. Many conversations uh, about the the we'll call it the crucifix scene um, about why I consider that moment to be absolutely necessary and mm-hmm. absolutely vital in in the way that it's that it's displayed yeah. that that I don't think that the director should have paired back from that even though it is arguably one of the most offensive things and profane things that I have ever seen in a in a film in the films that I've seen um, so but I consider it you know without getting into a whole bunch of spoilers for The Exorcist, I consider that moment to be very necessary to that film. The other movie that I thought about was, uh, which I think, correct me, my, 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 my film school graduates, um, is the f- one of the last lines of Gone with the Wind, the first time that a swear word was used in a major motion picture? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Okay, so um, so if you've seen Gone with the Wind, you know that I, it's not the final line, but it's but it's thought of as one of the final lines yeah. of the film that Rhett Butler says to, to Scarlett as he's leaving. I consider that to be, given the context of their characters and everything, I don't think he should said, you know, I don't yeah. give a darn or I don't care. Yeah, yeah. He, he, he needed to say that line, which is why, you know, I really admire that they left it in, particularly given the Hays Code and everything that was happening at that time. I admire that they that they took the plunge to leave that film in. So I do think that it's absolutely there are cases where it's important for that. Um, there are uh, the movie that I'm thinking of is I don't think it's a great movie. But uh, the movie that I'm thinking of is we recently had an experience in my family with the movie Shooter, which I don't okay. I don't think is a very good movie. Um, but my father saw it on uh, network TV. And he's just browsing network TV and and he sees Shooter. Well, it's network TV. I think it was a USA network. Right. So so he sees it and they've got you know uh, you know the the violence is tamed and the the most of the really offensive language is cut out. He sees it. He loves it. He's like, oh, this is great. He sees it in the $5 bin at Walmart. He buys it. And so he brings it home, and he watches the movie. Now, this is a movie he's already seen, you know, at least that, that other thing. Um, he's seen a version of it that, if my understanding is correct, he's seen a version of it that is um, approved in an agreement with the studio to, ha- to be edited in that way. Mm-hmm. And he's seen that, but then he watches it, and he's actually excited to show it to the rest of us. Hey, I thought this movie was great, you know. Like, and and it, it, there's no judgment here on what people like or where their tastes lean. You know, I could talk for hours about the things that I like that people think I'm stupid for liking. But when he watches it and he shows it to us, he is moment by moment just shocked to be like, oh, oh man, I didn't, 
I didn't realize they said that. I didn't, you know, uh, oh my gosh, I didn't know that. So what I'm having the what I'm having the challenge with here is I'm like director, Mr. Director, who I'm embarrassed to say I forgot. Is that Fuqua? Is that Antoine Fuqua? I believe so, yes. Okay, so uh, a director that I respect and admire and everything. My dad saw your film and loved your movie. But then he saw your film. Yeah. And was made very uncomfortable by it. And so it's one of those things where if I were and I don't know, the director would probably be like kind of what you guys are saying, I made the film that I made. So you so you you watch it or you skip it. But then I'm like, well, okay, but you also made the arrangement, or maybe you didn't, maybe the studio made yeah. the arrangement to to have this alternate version that my father f- far more preferred this other version of it. So in this in the jury room of my heart, I'm like, why is the director's vision so sacred? Why is it why is it the thing that we will lay down the gauntlet on and say, no, it has to be this. And again, it's a question. It's not that I'm I'm not pro vid angel. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's a question that I'm that I'm debating about like why is the director's vision in instances like that, again, I've already talked about the exorcist and gone with the wind. But why in instances like that is the director's vision so sacred that it's offensive to cut out some of that content? Well, that almost seems like a situation to me where uh, if if we were treating the, the director's vision as sacrosanct or at least as important, then no one would ever see the version that your dad saw. Right. And then no one ever is in a position where they think that the film is something that it is not. Mm-hmm. Because in reality, your father doesn't like the film. Yeah, yeah. that's true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and I feel like that that more speaks to reasons not to cut stuff down because I feel like it, it, it presents a different, it presents a different film. Hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah. And and I think that's the best way to say it is that when it comes right down to it, your dad does not like shooter. Yeah. You know? Um, and that's a, you know, it's weird to say such a thing, but you know, at this point, um, when I would, you know, when I was younger, I'd watch plenty of movies on TV and then I would see them for reals. And be like, oh yeah, they, oh boy, yeah, that that line is not the same. Um, but as I got older, I came to realize, like, if I'm watching something on TV, if I'm watching a movie on TV, and I know it's rated R, at this point, I recognize I'm not watching the movie. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. like, oh, this is good enough. I should go watch the real movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other thing that I will say is that yes, I, I, it does bother me that. Uh, it doesn't bother me to the extent that VidAngel bothers me or that CleanFlix bothers me because the studio made the arrangement and often when studios make that arrangement, they will tell the director ahead of time. Hmm. And so there, there will be times when the director and the writer and the actors, they will shoot an alternate version of a particularly profane scene mm-hmm. and they will do that because they know this is going to be on TV. Yeah. So while that's not ideal... It is still okay. The director saying, "I can live with this. It's not my first choice, but I can live with it." And even if they're not doing that, I'm sure they're required. Like when that director signs on, if they know that this movie's ever going to be on TV, that's right. probably a clause, and that has to be a clause in the right. contract somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's and you know what's interesting about that Cleanflix documentary? Now that I think about it, um, while the lawsuit was going on, the the head of the of the Clean uh, Cleanflix company. He said, well, how about this? How about you release uh, the airline version of these movies to us? We'll pay for them Hmm. and we'll rent them out. These versions do exist. 
So if you let them, if you let us have them, as you're perfectly willing to let the airlines have them or TV networks, you let us have them. We'll rent those out. That way, we're not editing your films. Someone, someone that you are okay with editing your films, they did it. So why? How about you just? We meet in the middle. We're getting what we need. You're not being offended in any way. And I'll say this: the Directors Guild didn't let it happen. And that is actually something that I don't. I don't see a problem with. I mean, yeah. I might have a problem with the fact that it, that those versions exist at all, but I'm infinitely more okay with that because mm-hmm. everybody came into it, and like as Josh said, everybody entered into it knowing what what was going to be happening here. Yeah. Um, as opposed to just some somebody else, you know, who who has no stake in it except for except for potentially making money or well, I don't like these things regardless of context, so I'll just take those out. Um. But yeah, so like when you when you get into like watching something on TV, I do think that that is, uh, I do think that that muddies the waters a little bit. But I but ultimately I do, I think Josh, you put it the right way, which is that when it comes right down to it, your dad thought he liked the movie, yeah, and in, when in fact he liked a certain version of the movie, yeah. Well, and I guess that that then extends to to the question at hand is, so. He liked a certain version of the movie. I can mm-hmm. accept that. I think that's a really great response. Um, why do we demand that he not have the version he likes? Why do we demand it? And that that I feel like I feel like that gets into an interesting question about. Well, there, there's several levels to it. There's like the uh, the question of the morality of like changing something without someone's permission. Um, versus the like artistic merit of it, which doesn't have any morals intrinsically tied to it. So those are two different questions. And so I, I feel like part of that um, goes to the question of how you perceive, um, I guess your opinion on how you perceive the way we're supposed to engage with a any kind of artistic artifact once it ha- has left. Yeah the director's hands or the studio's hands or whatever. Cause I know like, because just because Tyler, you and David have talked about it specifically on BP. I think you guys, you seem to skew more than me towards the, the idea of like once, once the director is done with the movie, you interpret it the way you interpret it. Like it's, it's up to you now. And I think some people could make the argument that the same applies for the way that you want to view it. Once it is no longer, like once it's been created and once it's out there, you can engage with it however you want to engage with it, which I think I wouldn't agree with as much. But uh, as someone who skews more in that direction, I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that. Uh, what it ultimately comes down to. And you know what? And that actually brings up a conversation that I want to br- that I want to get back to in a moment, which is. Perhaps the issue that I have is not whether VidAngel should exist, but whether anybody should want it to. Yeah. So that's Those are totally separate questions. Yes, conversation yeah, right. to have in a moment. Um, what I will say is that uh, the the conclusion that David and I come to when we talk about because it, it usually we usually have that conversation anytime uh, uh, a showrunner for a TV show speaks out about what his finale meant and because oh, sure. people are like well I I, t- I take it this way and he's like that's not how it that's not what I meant it for for it to do and my first thought is well you should have done a better job then. If you wanted it, to, if you wanted a very rigid interpretation, then you should have directed. You should have made that last episode very rigidly. But as it is, you've been given the freedom, 
we'll get to that in a moment. You've been given the freedom to make this show or movie or book, whatever, however you want. That was a freedom that was extended to you. And now you made the thing that you wanted, you put it out there, and now th you need to allow them the same freedom, them the audience, to interpret it however you want. But the thing is, I think the issue for me is that in that instance, everybody's being heard the way they want to be heard, which is, you know, the audience is being heard by saying, I, I think this means that, or even saying, I don't think you needed that nude scene. But what, but it's a, it's a conversation where everybody is being allowed to say what they want to say. Whereas if you're talking to somebody and they're swearing at you and you're not thrilled with their swearing, you have some options. You could say to them, would you actually mind not swearing? It makes me uncomfortable. And if the person says, I'm not going to do that, you then have the option of, I guess you could try to interrupt them every time they, they swear, but you that's not going to beep over yeah. the stuff. But that's not going to make for a very good conversation. So what, what would need to happen is you either need to be okay with the fact that this person is swearing or be okay with not talking to this person because they've shown that, they're, that they have no problem with swearing. And to me, that's like watching a Martin Scorsese film. It's watching Wolf of Wall Street or Goodfellas or whatever it is. You know what these movies are going to have in them. This person has shown that they don't have a problem with it, even though some people in the world do. They don't have a problem with it. This is, the, this is how they want to communicate, what they want to communicate. You have a choice. And it's either to take it or leave it as opposed to, and to me saying like, well, I want it like this and like this and like this. To me, that is like telling, if Reed is talking to me, me saying, uh, I don't want you to talk about your kid as we have this discussion. Uh, it bothers me. Mm -hmm. So we can keep going, but you are not allowed to talk about your kid. Now let's have an open, an open and honest conversation right, where right. we both feel totally heard. Mm -hmm. Like that's not going to work. And so that, and so I tend to approach art as a conversation between artist and audience. Now, admittedly, it's kind of, a, it's a couple of monologues. It's not a whole lot of dialogue, not a whole lot of back and forth, but that's ultimately what it is. And as long as everybody feels, as long as everybody has the freedom to take things the way they want and say things the way they want, I think I'm okay with it. But once either person, whether it be the art, the, the audience saying to the artist, you shouldn't have had this scene in it. I don't like that. I also don't like when the artist says to the audience, you shouldn't have interpreted interpreted it like that. Like, I think people need to be free to have uh, do whatever, say whatever they're going to say, hear whatever they're going to hear, without insisting the other person do what they want. Well, I will. That's say, a very complex answer. I'm sorry. No, but it does make sense, and has. I, I don't intend to frustrate anybody here or listening, but as long as you don't bring up your kid, I'll be thrilled. No, 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 <laughs> okay. no. He's, he's off the table now. Okay. Um, but it's weird that he was just sitting here on the table. Yeah, he was I very quiet, quiet too. Yeah. I was impressed. He was, well, he was offended by, by oh, what you said about back to the future. <laughs> so, enough, you know, so he left. All he wanted to say are those things that he wasn't allowed to say. <laughs> <for> <laughs> the future, so. Oh, he said them as soon as he left the room. Oh, don't, sure, don't, sure. don't get me wrong. Um, but you know, as usual, that brings up a couple of, a uh, slew of, of ideas into my mind. And, and I do, I do think, that uh, I love the way you put it about that that everybody needs to be heard. I was thinking, and I'm not trying to to be like a bumper sticker or try to be you know stupidly cliched, but I was thinking, I was asking myself, what does the audience owe the artist, and what does the artist owe the audience? Yeah, it was not intentional. It just these are the words that cropped into my head as I was sort of processing this question, and I think 
I just feel silly because the words rhyme, but um, I think the audience owes the artist their attention. And I think that the artist owes the audience their intention hmm. so that, that, that the audience needs to get, needs to pay attention to what yeah. the artist is saying, whether that's you're cracking open a book to read it, you're viewing a, a painting, you're putting on a song, you are watching a movie, you owe it your attention. Like, honestly, uh, the thing that tends to bother me more than VidAngel ever will is somebody who will sit and watch a movie for the first time and un unless they really just are, are not that interested in the movie and they're just there right. to hang out with people, I'm not offended by that at all. Um, but if somebody's like, yeah, I'm going to watch this movie and then they are multitasking at the same time that they're doing it. Like I have a friend who's going through a TV show that I'm very passionate about. Um, I won't name the TV show or the friend will know who they are. But, uh, <laughs> you know, I have, a, I, have a, I have a friend who's going through a TV show and they've commented multiple times that they do it while they're working. And I'm like, you 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 can't do that. <laughs> like, like you can't, you're going to miss stuff. You're going to, you know, the points are going to end sure enough. They've caught quite a bit, but they've missed quite a bit as well. Yeah. Um, so I felt like audience, you, you owe the artist your attention, but the artist, I do think owes some degree of, of a codex, if you will, of like, because if, if we take the point that once it's left the, the artist, that it is fully in the hands of the audience to interpret whatever they are. Yeah. But then you get into, and this is an entirely different conversation, but then you get into the misinterpretation of text. Then you get into the misinterpretation of, you know, I'm not going to go uh, entirely down the religious road, but then you get into the idea of, well, you've now taken artist driven context and made it not entirely irrelevant, but largely irrelevant because mm -hmm. the audience can do whatever they want to with it. And so if, if I intend by a particular scene to show the discomfort of human sexuality and somebody else is like, you're just trying to elicit, you know, arousal from your audience. No, no, that's not what I intended. Yeah. If we press too hard on that other definition, then I have no right to say, I did not intend to just have people sit and do this other thing. I intended to explore something. So I do think, again, I'm not, I'm not even necessarily disagreeing with you, but I think if we push in any aspect of this conversation to any extreme, we might get ourselves into a danger zone when we try to, to hold it up logically in other areas where we might be perfectly fine with it. Well, and I think the situation that you just talked about, it does like if somebody, I think what we're talking about is honesty mm. that if somebody arrives, if, if a, uh, if a filmmaker is literally trying to make a movie as organically as possible, as honestly as possible, like this is the character, this is the life they're lit, they, they live. And I'm going to be honest about that, which is to say, I'm not going to add anything artificially but I'm also not going to take take away anything artificially. Mm -hmm. I'm going to be true and honest and organic. So that's them being honest. And then in the same way, the audience says, I'm honestly listening to you. Mm. I'm absolutely, like you said, attention. I'm giving you my undivided attention. And attention often means looking at the overall context of why something was included. Right. Like, oh, this scene of sexuality. And some people... Like they go in with plenty and everyone has preconceived ideas that happens, you know, mm -hmm. everyone has baggage, it, you know, that's fine. But I do think that if you're going to give somebody your undivided attention, you, you do have to try to do your best to leave as much of your baggage at the door as you can. And so if you go in 
to a conversation. If you go into a movie and you are of the opinion that sexuality, regardless of context, is never right to have mm-hmm. in a movie, then you're not then uh, you're probably not going to be that honest in your assessment of that person's film because if he's coming at you with like i i did this to the best of my ability i didn't add anything just for you know shock value or anything like that then uh and then you say like well it's still not necessary it's like that's not being honest uh in my opinion um what would be honest is if the person said well if they acknowledge well i'm walking into this film with the belief that this is never right. So if you have it in there, I'm going to think that it's never right. That's the person being honest with themselves, mm-hmm. being honest with those around them and being honest with the filmmaker. But, and that's the thing being a film critic, uh, who has no children and you know, all these other things, I'm free to talk about the ideal. I'm free to talk about everybody's doing their best to hear the other person. And that's not always going to be the case because, you know, I mean, it is, it is at this, let's go back to Game of Thrones. There is a joke about Game of Thrones and about HBO in general. It's like, yeah, the show's a little bit HBO, which is to say they'll amp things up simply because they can. Mm -hmm. Um, And while I have, and my favorite HBO shows, I don't see that to be the case. Sopranos, I feel like everything is in there that needs to be in there. Uh, Same with Deadwood, same with, although oddly enough, Deadwood has a tremendous amount of profanity. Mm-hmm. And some people said like, this seems excessive. Here's what's fun. You go back and look at the, the actual Deadwood, the real place. Mm-hmm. And it was notoriously profane because they did not want people who didn't live there. They did not want them to be comfortable mm-hmm. because people from civilized society would come into Deadwood to like seek their fortune. And then they quickly realize this is not the place for me. I don't right. even like what I'm hearing much less what I'm seeing. And so I'm leaving. So even so the people themselves were artificially profane. And in depicting that David Milch was honest in his depiction of it. And so I, I find that fascinating, but, um, but yeah, so I recognize that I'm speaking very much in in grandiose and idealistic terms, but I also have the freedom to do that yeah, yeah, because yeah, of what right. I am. But I mean, that's what we're, what we're really talking about the ideal. Like we're yeah. not, not we're, we're talking about how people should engage without art, how uh, what artists should expect from their audiences. Yeah. So I feel like it's kind of all ideals that we're dealing in, and uh, and and that's fine. Um, yeah, that's the end of that thought. Okay. <laughs> it's, uh, there's a, you opening your mouth. And I was like, hey, he's got more. That's exciting. I had something else I was going to say, but I'm not sure if it applies at the moment. So I'll okay. wait. Um, and we should probably start to kind of wind down a little bit because we've been going for, for a while. But um, in that case, maybe I should bring up two other things. Because okay. there are two things that I kind of have in my mind, similar to the way you were talking, uh, Reed, about feeling sort of uh, of two minds about it, that uh, are, are potential theoretical positives for it um, to think about. One of them came from something that I read in that Variety article, which was to say that um, and we kind of have dealt with this already, but some the CEO or somebody from the company said that because they're looking at it as the sort of thing where you own the DVD, uh, he, was say, he was saying, if you own it, you choose which parts of it you want to see and which parts mm-hmm. you don't want to see. And that makes sense. I don't feel like there's anything morally wrong with somebody watching a movie and fast forwarding through the parts that they don't like. Sure. So the idea of there being a business that does the fast forwarding part for 
for you seems to kind of make sense. Right. Now, I think that's not respectful of the artist, and I think that doesn't... Um, we talked a little bit earlier, sort of the terminology about what you were, you were saying, what the audience and the, and the, uh, and the, the artist owe each other. I almost feel like, Oh, is the wrong word because I feel like it's, there's, there's not like a contract that we're bound to as much as there is something, I guess an interaction in which we can both benefit mm-hmm. in that the artist benefits in being able to communicate something and to create something. And the audience benefits from engaging with that, artifact whatever gotcha. it be yeah um so i feel like the fast forwarding idea uh while i don't think there's anything immoral with it and i i don't really even feel like there's something wrong with a company providing that service for people that want it i feel like it uh can preclude people from being able to fully engage with uh, with a piece of art and to get as much out of it as they would otherwise if they were giving it their full attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll piggyback on that a little bit because that is that does uh, summarize in a way that is acceptable enough for me to not actually go further into it. That idea of not having a problem with the service existing, but more the reason that it exists is something that I don't necessarily agree with as mm-hmm. far as in what the audience wants. But, um, you know, one of my favorite quotes by Roger Ebert is that m- movies are a machine that generate empathy, you know, whether it be the filmmaker's point of view or a specific character, whatever it is you're watching and you're, and you're agreeing to go along with this person and see the world from their point of view, you know, and sometimes you might not like their point of view. Sometimes you'll think it's really insulting. You know, Josh, I know that you saw a movie recently, uh, the name of which Captain something Captain Fantastic. Captain Fantastic that you found to be tremendously uh, insulting and stuff. And what it ultimately comes down to for you is it wasn't unlike a guy standing, being in a conversation with a guy who's like, you're an idiot. I hate you. And you should be <laughs> deeply ashamed of the things you believe that I don't like. Um so, but at the same time, you still gave the film as much leeway as I'm sure you could, and it still insisted on being this insufferable thing. Um, but I think when when you go to see, let's go back to this guy from the Clean Flicks thing who said, like, oh, I'm going to see Scarface, or I'm going to see Reservoir Dogs or Goodfellas, or whatever it is. Um, going with Roger Ebert's definition, which is not, of course, the official definition, but it's one that I think works really well. Um, it's like, I want to I see the world of Scarface. I want to see how he looks at the world. I want to see the world of gangsters and goodfellas. I want to know what that world is like, but completely on my terms. There's nothing empathetic about that. That's you insisting that, you, that they still do what they're doing, but the way you want them to. And I feel like if you were to approach any person like that, you would be seen as a bad person. Um, and when it comes right down to it, it's just, it, it seems very much like, um, wanting to have your cake and eat it too, ultimately. Like, I want to be able to talk about Goodfellas with my friends. Well, first off, the movie you'll be talking about is not Goodfellas. You know, you'll be talking about some vague idea of Goodfellas. Um, and that in itself is just like, well, then what's the point? Um, and so for, <laughs> for me, it's just like, oh, you want to see gangsters, but you don't want to worry about any of the swearing or violence or anything like that you just want like just go watch a cagney movie or something like that because that's that's 
apparently your time. But it's worth noting that the reason those movies were so acceptable is because they genuinely were being censored. Um, and that should, to me, that should say something. Mm. Um, so, uh, so I know that we do need to move on and I do apologize if anybody listened to this and they felt like we were being, uh, insulting to them or anything like that. Uh, I totally understand the instinct to not, especially if it's, if it's a temptation issue, you know, that's one of the reasons why I don't watch game of Thrones, Mm. um, that, and I genuinely thought, as we've said before, like sexuality, especially and nudity for me is a very sensitive issue because, you know, if, if somebody is swearing on screen, well, the character's swearing, if violence is being committed, well, we know it's not real. But with a couple of exceptions, like in Boogie Nights, whatever nudity we see, we know is not like that's the person. That's not merely the character. That is the actor as well. And they're being willing. They're willing to put themselves out there. Hopefully, uh, uh, you know, in good faith that the director will not just exploit that and just be like, well, hey, here we go. Let's get some get some teenage boys paying attention or whatever, like that. It's really necessary for the character and really necessary for the tonal uh, quality of the scene. Um, and so when I see a movie or I see a, a, a TV show that I feel like, mm, I, I'm willing to cut people a lot, of, a director, a lot of slack, but that really seems exploitative. And that's what I got from game of Thrones. And so I made the choice to not watch it. Right. Um, and don't get me wrong. I would love to be part of the conversation about game of Thrones every week. Um, there's some new development that people are like, can you believe this thing? It's like, I, I cannot. I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Social media explodes. Yeah. And I yeah. would love to be part of that conversation. Um, but I can't be um, because, and that's the thing. I would rather not be part of the conversation than be kind of halfway a part of the conversation. Be like, because at that point I don't actually know what these characters lives are like. Yeah. You know, I just, I'm getting just the faintest, faintest hint of it, you know? Well, and, um, I know we're winding down, but I had, I had two more thoughts that I really okay. wanted to, to briefly address and this piggybacks on one of them. Um, uh, I've been speaking, I feel like accidentally a lot, like sort of, uh, devil's advocate for vid angel, sure. which um, is, which is actually a good thing. I'm happy um, about that. But, uh, one thing that I would say kind of on the other camp is, um, people who are like, you know, we own, we own the movie so we can filter out whatever we want. I would venture to say, and this is, of course, an extremist example, which we're trying to avoid, but here it goes. Um, recent, not that long ago, frighteningly recently, there was a lot of very serious talk in legal circles about uh, editing out the N-word from The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn yeah. for um, you know uh, school teaching and stuff like that. I personally found that deplorable, not because it's you – know, for reasons that we've already addressed about I feel like Mark Twain's usage of that word – is very intentional, yes. and I feel like it's very vital to what he's trying to say in that story. That's a side conversation. But um, it made me think about, and this is my really where I was trying to land, um, we can say all we want, let those who might be pro-VidAngel can say all we want, like, hey, we watch it, how, as their ad says, this is actually their slogan, watch it however we bleeping want. Um, so we can say that. But what if somebody, I don't know why anybody would do this, but let's say somebody was really curious about courageous, fireproof, God's not dead, and they didn't want all that Jesus stuff in it. No. And they decided, you know what? I want to see this movie. I'm a big Kevin Sorbo fan. I just want to see his movies, uh, but I'm not interested in all this Jesus stuff. So I'm going to put a filter on there that removes any mention of God. 
in the movie God's Not Dead. I would venture to say that the director of that film and proponents of that film would suddenly begin to feel some of what the directors might feel when they're like, you are missing the point of the movie yeah. when you cut that content out. Like, like you're missing the point of it. And people would argue like, well, yeah, that's more thematic and it's not, you know, content based to which I would say, how do you know that the content you are filtering out is not thematic unless you have seen the film and have fairly judged it as we've been talking about on its own terms. So again, like I said, while the jury's still out, I would definitely see, I think you would get a lot of people kick against the idea of filtering out the religious bias from films like Courageous and Fireproof and uh, Facing the Giants and God's Not Dead and the slew of Christian films. Um, if somebody was like, well, I want to see these movies, but I don't want to get preached at, people would argue, well, well, that's that's part of the point of the movie is, is that it's important. And I think it's worth the other side who would be so flippantly uh, willing to filter out content without any sort of discerned measurement that, that that's largely what they're saying is okay. That is, and maybe they would say, yeah, sure, that's fine. And if they do, okay, well, at least your position's consistent. And I yeah. say that sincerely. Mm. But I think that you might find that it's not as easy to swallow when other people want to cut out things that you feel are really part of why you love that movie. Yeah. That struck me a little bit earlier, too, how it kind of like that this, these sort of conversations are peripherally, peripherally connected to ideas about like hate speech mm. and how mm -hmm. people are okay with getting rid of something if they consider it hate speech. Um, and it, 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 and that sword cuts both ways the same way sort of this one does. Yeah. And it, it does speak to, I'll, I'll quote uh, Roger Ebert uh, again, another, another uh, high-minded lofty idea in which he says that a film is not what it's about, it's how it's about it. Mm -hmm. Now, I don't agree because I think a film is also what it's about. <laughs> but, um, but that's the thing is, you know, you can how a movie is made does make a big difference on how we're supposed to view what it's about. Um, and so I would say that a movie like, for example, the Wolf of wall street is very much how it is like that. What it is about is how it's about it. Hmm. You, Oh, you find the movie excessive. Yeah. That's the idea. This guy is walking excess. Mm -hmm. And if you try to take all that stuff out and still get a real actual portrait of Jordan Belfort, you're not going to get it. Yeah, you need to watch. And sometimes you need to be disgusted. That's the like maybe you're maybe the, the thing you're feeling, just the resistance that you're feeling, maybe hearing so many swear words when you're watching Glengarry Glen Ross, for example, and just makes you bristle just to hear it so many times. Maybe you're supposed to feel that way. Hmm. You know, just because and this is a big thing that, you know, we've talked about on the show ad nauseum. And so I'm not going to go into too much here. But like just that's the other thing is that's why context is important. Um, just because a film is depicting something doesn't mean it's glamorizing it. Right. You know, there's plenty of scenes of sexuality and nudity that I would say is not at all meant to be titillating. Now, yes, someone somewhere could take it that way. Mm. And maybe you could take it that way. That requires a great deal of self-assessment and self-awareness and discernment and that kind of thing. That's fine. But that doesn't, but to go back to how this all started, which is how they, how they, present themselves like, oh, they just had nudity because of this. They just have swearing because of this. Or maybe if you just 
if you just try, let's go back to this other, the other Roger Ebert quote, if you just try to empathize a little bit, you might actually see that they're trying, that they did this for a reason. And maybe you can't see it immediately. Maybe you don't want to see it. And maybe to see it would get to you in some way. That's fine. All of that is fine. But at least acknowledge that the, the dismissive quality with which they are approaching movies that have this content in them is, I think, very damaging. Um, and it does create a certain sense of entitlement in the viewer that I think is very damaging to the artist and to the audience themselves. So I think we'll leave it there. Uh, listeners, feel free to comment. Uh, we're talking about some pretty big stuff here. And uh, it's possible you don't agree. It's possible you do agree. And that's that's perfectly fine. So uh, feel free to comment or you can email me, Tyler, morethanonelesson.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at More Lessons. You can uh, like us on Facebook. Uh, please do remember to email in your uh, 10 submissions ranked, please, to tylermorethanonelesson.com for the uh, More Than One Lesson uh, top 50 movies of all time. Uh, once again, we are nominated for a podcast award. I don't really care about winning at this point. <laughs> I really don't. But if you felt like going to uh, podcastawards.com and voting for us in the religion category, uh, go right ahead. Uh, scroll, after you do that, scroll to the bottom, put in your name and email address. They will send you an email for confirmation. Uh, just click on that and you'll be fine. Uh, but whatever. I don't care anymore. Um, but yeah, uh, hopefully people enjoyed this conversation. Hope, hopefully it gave people something to think about. Um you know, maybe you came into this conversation being like vehemently anti a service like VidAngel and now you're maybe not so much or maybe you're really on board with it and maybe you're not so much. And if if either of those are the case, then uh, mission accomplished. Um, well, not totally for me because I definitely have a point of view and I'd prefer you agree with it. <laughs> but um, anyway, so uh, we'll leave it there. Thank you guys so much for for being a part of uh, this episode and and for uh, chiming in with uh, with your perspective because I, I I'm I'm glad we had uh, as many perspectives as we did. So thank you, Reed. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Josh. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.